Hello and welcome everyone to our latest experiment, the Harris Podcast. My name is Jeff Bender and I'm here to help you better understand who we are, where we are going, and to engage you in our journey. These podcasts are intended to introduce you to our leaders, our initiatives, and to new ideas and ways of thinking. Our goal is to not only inform you, but to engage you in helping us create the enduring organization. Please enjoy. So let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about acquisition. So I'm always curious when I have a room full of people, uh, maybe by show of hands, how many people came to Harris through acquisition? Maybe my question should have been, how many people did not come through acquisition? <laughs> so obviously, uh, we are very acquisitive, and, uh, and this year is certainly no, uh, no different with respect to that. So we often get the question, you know, what do we look for uh, when, when acquiring? Um, what, uh, what opportunities are we looking for? Um, you know, what, what does success look like? Um, so given the amount of experience the three of you have with regards to acquisitions, um, what do you look for when acquiring a new business or getting into a new vertical? Uh, well, these days I'm in love with zero attrition businesses. <laughs> there, there's a couple. Have we, we have some. We have some now. Uh, we've got at least two that I can think of that have never lost a customer. So obviously, if you have a zero attrition business, so you never lose customers, your customers don't go away, they don't shrink, you're only going to grow. They only have two customers? No. no, no, no. <laughs> Just jealous. <laughs> Just jealous. Uh, so, but I think it's also very powerful. I think it says something about the business, the fact that customers, no matter how hard the, the competition tries, they're not able to take them. Uh, the customers, you know, I always have the option to develop in-house and things like that, <clears> and they don't. So I, I really look for that high customer retention. I think it says tremendous things about the business. Um, and I think when we look at operating our businesses for the long term and growing them, if the customers or the structure of the business is such that the customers do want to stick around for the long term and they feel they've been getting value up to the point where we become owners and we know we're going to continue to deliver value once we do, uh, this would be the, the hottest thing right now for me, would be uh, businesses that retain all of their customers for super long periods of time. Great. Thanks, John. So first, uh, look really start off looking at the company and decide whether I think it can be a good investment, right? Because that's really what you know I'm tasked to do is try to try to drive you know acquire businesses. Uh, let me back up a second. We can all acquire a business if we're willing to pay any price. The question is, we need to be able to acquire businesses that generate the um, internal rate of return that we're tasked with meeting in order to buy the business. So. I start there and decide, you know, is it a business that we believe that we can get at a price that will generate um, an IRR that's appropriate? Um, and then that way I can manage my time uh, appropriately. Next, then I, I look at, you know, is it a business uh, that we know something about um, so that we can make an intelligent, informed decision about what the risks are on this business and try to then uh, understand it. And then thirdly, then I look to see where it fits into our current organization in terms of, you know, is it a tuck-in, is it a platform? You know, who can run it? You know, what do we need to do this business? Is it a product that can help us strengthen some of our other businesses uh, that we already have? Um, it's kind of the third criteria. So, you know, not often, because I get asked this question, not often looking at a business just to buy the product because we have a hole somewhere else. Um, you know, if, it, if that works, that's great, and, and we'll definitely try to do that, uh, but that's not my, my primary uh, 
consideration, at least in, in the beginning of the discussions of the business. I like businesses, uh, certainly that are close to the verticals we've had. We've done a lot of acquisitions in the ambulatory uh, EHR and PM space over the last couple of years. And I think we've learned a lot about that space. It is a tough market. Unfortunately, it doesn't have zero attrition like uh, the businesses that Jean was talking about. I wish it did. But we've been able to find over the last couple of years some meaningful businesses in that segment um, because we understand what those businesses are. And as a result, we understand the price that we have to pay for those businesses given their characteristics. So from my standpoint, it's really about understanding the business, understanding the characteristics of the business. Uh, again, I'd love to buy zero attrition businesses, but for those of you in the healthcare business, uh, I don't think I've encountered anything that's even close to that at this point uh, in terms of opportunities that we've seen. Uh, we're lucky to get single-digit attrition in some of the healthcare businesses that we've looked at at this point. It's a really challenging environment, but it's still, for the right price, a great place to deploy capital and, and, uh, and get good returns on our businesses. As far as uh, other verticals that we're looking at, um, I have been spending some time with the M&A team looking at other verticals. We've looked at, uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily call it fintech because it's not fintech where it's uh, app-based, but kind of the financial background business. We've had two businesses recently that we've looked at in that space. Uh, we've spent a lot of time in the last year meeting with uh, some of the investment bankers that we work with on the healthcare side that also have... Um, financial software kind of practices uh, like Berkery Noise, and they've sent us a couple opportunities. Nothing we've gotten very far with, but it is a vertical that we, uh, that we are pursuing. Um, and I think there'll be some opportunities there in the future, uh, given what I've uh, seen recently. Actually, we just turned one business that we got over to you guys today. Thank it's you. A, yeah, it, it's more of a, it ties better into some of the things on, on PSG. And I also believe, uh, that you know, I've received some, or we received some eye-opening data on kind of what our sister companies are doing internationally, and you know, when you look at the stats, they're it's, they're really ahead of us in terms of the M&A investment, and I, I just think it's going to be difficult for us to kind of overcome that. But I do think that for the long-term health of the organization, we need to. So I, I do want to spend some more time thinking about how we move our international kind of efforts forward. Thanks. Yeah, I don't think I would add uh, too much. I would always start with, is it a good investment? And so do I understand the thesis that's being proposed? And do I believe that we could achieve uh, the thesis? So, you know, again, is it a good investment? I then I also always want to know where does it go, right? So where does it fit within the organization? And now I, I, I would say the, the third element might be a little bit different is I, did, I do look at the senior people and try and understand who they are and will they provide us with additional capacity outside of the business that's actually being acquired, right? So can we use, you know, back to Jerry's point before, where we always seem to be struggling to find uh, people for some of our opportunities. I think obviously acquiring companies can be a, a great pipeline of, uh, of great people. So I, I do spend a lot of time trying to understand that as well. Great. Um, on that people front, uh, for those of you who, who saw it yesterday, yesterday we were named one of the top employers in Canada for Glassdoor. So my, my next question uh, is related actually specifically to Glassdoor or different, different mediums. So there's a lot of negative comments on Glassdoor with respect to salary, salary increases at Harris. Uh, why do you think that is? I'll go. Yeah, no, I'll start. All right. That's fine. <laughs> we uh, have a lot of debates at the, about this one, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I have, to, I have to apologize to Judy because I was when I, in my opening words, I was supposed to mention the, uh, 
the, 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 the Best Employer Awards. I, I apologize. Yeah. They surprised me last night with me giving a, a little bit of an opening versus the Q and A, and I don't I don't do well like without preparation. So I, I tried to I tried to go outside of my comfort zone and wing it this morning, and you can see what happens is I forget things I'm supposed to do. So I should have I should have prepared more. Uh, so I actually so when Glassware first came out, uh, I really had no time for it at all. I thought it was just ridiculous, and you read the comments, and it just seemed like it was just former employees, you know, complaining about things that didn't make sense, and it didn't seem like you really had an opportunity to respond to some of these these complaints. And then slowly over time, um, I was in a, a meeting with a customer uh, before signing a very large contract with one of our utilities groups, uh, and they produced across the table for me a bunch of reviews uh, from Glassdoor and asked for my explanation as to why. You know, they were, you know, why were we getting these types of reviews? Did it reflect on the company? Is this the kind of company that they should be looking to bring? Because obviously when they buy the software, they're going to be on the software for 15 or 20 years. Is this the company, the kind of company they actually want to be partnering with and working with? Uh, I also met with some uh, shareholders of Constellation uh, over, uh, over dinner, and they also were quizzing me on uh, Glassdoor results. And all of a sudden I was like, you know what, I probably need to be spending a lot more time understanding what's going on here. So I think working with Judy and Anila and the team, I think we really embraced it as, I think, a, a great learning tool that it is to provide us with another lens on what our current and former employees are thinking about. Uh, so again, I, re I read all the reviews. I, I get an email from Glassdoor every, every week, uh, and I read them all. Um, I don't like the negative ones. I, I find it, it, it it's... It, it, Makes me feel sad, you know, when you sort of you sort of look at what you're you're trying to do, and then you see how people are perceiving what you're trying to do, and it, it can be you know it can be very frustrating that you know we're not able to do some of the things we want to do. And I think to Judy's point, a lot of the comments typically are around compensation. Right? They feel that we are not compensating people appropriately for the roles uh, that they that, that they have. So I think you know when I look at that, I, I will push them back out and ask people different questions uh, to understand you know what is going on. I think. Our compensation system continues to evolve. I think we don't actually have a great system. Um, you know, at one point, I think it was several years ago, Judy was trying to convince me that we should have, you know, one master system where you know, if we, you know, one role would have a, a certain band and it didn't matter. And I just really couldn't get my head around the different geographies that we were in, the different vertical markets that we were in. I just felt that it would just create a level of bureaucracy and it would take away. From what we're trying to do, so I think I think the re the biggest reason and the challenge that we, we get those kind of comments is I think we try and put as much control and give as much autonomy to our business units as possible. The largest decisions that they're making are people decisions, so I think we need to do a better job of making sure that they're making the right long-term decisions in terms of how much they want to invest in our employees and the different positions that we have. And I think clearly the answer is, you know, from pretty much all of the feedback that that's not always uh, the case. So I think, you know, we're, we're starting to use more tools. We're doing more, uh, you know, we're getting more external data. We're getting more data from CSI now, right? Because I mean, so, you know, Paris has 5,000 employees. CSI has, I think, I don't know, let's say 18 or 19,000 employees. So all of a sudden, you know, we, we actually are our own market now. We don't have to go external to get data. We, can, we just need to look internally to get it. We did a major, uh, a lot of work this year uh, that we're just sort of rolling out on standardizing our compensation for our, uh, our EVPs and our SEVPs, right? So now it's more standardized across all of our different groups, trying to bring a, a level of transparency and fairness 
uh, to that system, whereas before I'd say it was a bit more ad hoc. And I think, you know, as you go down in the organization, it gets more and more ad hoc. And I think when you have ad hoc processes and systems, you tend to get potentially unfairness uh, in those systems. So I think really to me, it's always just a, a reminder to be working with the businesses and making sure that, you know, when we, we sort of encourage them to, uh, you know, maintain a level of profitability or to increase a level of profitability, that we understand the consequences of, uh, of that that requirement or that decision that we're asking of them and have the proper long-term conversation. Thank you. Do you want to move to the next question? Or do we, Dave, we have any yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I think Jeff covered 98% of it. I think I'd just add kind of how I look at it maybe is that from my perspective, when I look at compensation across the organization, one of the things that I think is really important and ties to the questions about Glassdoor is there's a difference between what we're willing to pay for a role being an issue versus unfairness. And I'm really, I never want to see unfairness, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think that, you know, we definitely want to make sure that the people that do similar roles in the organization are fairly and equally compensated. That doesn't mean though that the compensation that's, that we believe is fair for everybody at that role is exactly what the person who has that role desires or could maybe get in a different organization that values that position differently. So I think that that's, that's part of it. But you know, when somebody posts a comment like that, you know, I, I like to look at the data, you know, how are we paying other people in the organization? Um, try to understand you know, what the role is. You know, is it a fair comment or is it not a fair comment, right? You know, very few people say to themselves, I'm overpaid, okay? Um, so, and usually when you leave, it's because another organization, for whatever reason, you have a skill that they value or that they need urgently and they're willing to pay more than, than we are. So I try to balance that when I read those comments, Judy, and try to make a fair assessment of it. But, you know, the good thing about it is, you know, we're trying to become, as Jeff said, more data-centric, and I think it gives us a better way to analyze that than to make sure that we're competitive and fair. And those are, to me, the most important parts of the compensation system. Yeah, and we're definitely big enough now to echo what both of you said, that we have access to a fair amount of data. I, I will say one more thing, and I, and I see this from the lens of my role, and I, I suspect my team sees it from, from, from their lens as well, from an HR perspective, which is a lot of times uh, somebody being unhappy with compensation is really masking a leader's inability to have a difficult conversation and say, you know, Judy, you're doing a great job, but you've really reached the, the salary potential of this role. And if you want to continue to make more, maybe you should be looking at moving up within the organization. And I definitely see that a lot in, in my role. It's a lot of the coaching that I do with our leaders. And so I, I think if you find yourself in a situation where you're struggling um, with somebody's compensation, then you know, the, the, behind it may be the, the inability to have that difficult conversation or the fear of having that difficult conversation. I'm seeing that Glendie's giving me the, the time here, I think, so I'm going to pay, pay a bit more attention to the time. Do you want to add anything before I move on to my next question? Maybe just a little Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Uh, harping on organic growth again, but I do feel so when I do read some of these comments, that there can be also a question of perception. If you look at PSG and our group, we're going to, you know, been growing uh, over 10% annually, uh, sometimes up to 20%. And so when you look at the charts, you're going to like, wow, the business is growing all this much, and the you know, the amount of profit we generated is growing, but that's coming from just you know acquiring these companies. Um, PSG as a group, we've had zero organic growth. I'm not proud to say it, but since I've taken over, so on average, we are flat organically uh, since 2015. 
So if you've had a raise, if you've been around since 2015, you've had a raise in 2015, 16, 17, it means that the cost of everybody you know, is increasing, but our revenues aren't. So while I do, so nobody has a strategy as a business to go, you know, I wanna pay as little as possible until we move the organic growth needle up, all we're doing is eroding profits. So we're, there's this constant pressure uh, because of our lack of growth, which is why I'm never going to stop talking about growth. The end game is it's going to provide for more income for everybody. Otherwise, it creates this constant state of uncomfortable pressure. And I guess some people need to vent that pressure uh, on Glassdoor. I get it. It's not helpful uh, to us. We get it. I mean, everybody wants to uh, have everybody around them be as successful and as wealthy as possible. We have to do it within the boundaries of the situation that we're in. Can I add one last thing? Is that, and we sort of alluded to it, but I do want to mention that you know, given all the acquisitions we do, uh, you know, we raise the you know everybody who's raised their hands here, a large percentage of the people, probably seventy-five percent of the people, is that as we bring acquisitions in, every acquisition we that we do bring in has a different compensation system. So it's really hard, given the number of employees that we add on an annual basis as well, to manage it, right? Mm -hmm. like, so there's a complexity that certain other organizations don't have. Um, and we're not always bringing in the exact same types of organizations <laughs> as well. So um, I think we're, you know, we're striving to do the most efficient way we can to manage it, but I don't know how many employees we acquired this year, but I know it was hundreds. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's Each of which from an organization had a different kind of compensation and structure system and philosophy that now we have to amalgamate and bring into ours and standardize. And that doesn't happen overnight. 